hi, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of The Fundamentalists. My name is Elliot Morgan, and I'm coming at you from a different continent than my podcasting partner, Peter Rollins. I'm coming at you uh, on a beautiful Monday morning here in Los Angeles, California. Um, I'm overlooking a, a beautiful, overcast, gray, cloudy, morose, kind of sad landscape, and it's absolutely beautiful, whereas Peter Rollins is coming at you live from a beautiful, I'm assuming sunny and cheery evening in Belfast, Ireland. Yeah, that's weird that you've that got correct? a gloomy uh, landscape and I have a very beautiful sunny landscape. But yes, beautiful here. Like sun's out, right. clouds are gone, stunning. Really? Yeah, yeah, really, really nice. Is it? Yeah, I mean, it has been oh, raining a little cool. bit as well, but mostly very beautiful. Well, that's wonderful. Um, we are doing this remotely, and we are using a, a service called Squadcast right now for the first time because um, I thought it seemed kind of cool. But we don't know exactly how this is going to go. It should go very smoothly. You should get video and audio. We have our lovely, uh, beautiful Cam who's going to try to take this and make it better. But if there's any popping or anything, we apologize. Um, and it's hard to say that sentence without potentially popping. See, more, more of it's happening right yeah. now. Um, but it should be very fun. Um, Pete, how is Belfast? Are you having fun? I miss you. Yeah, I miss you, man. Can't wait to get back and hang out. Um, but it's lovely to be home. Uh, always love coming back. It's been a long time, so it's good hanging out and doing quarantine at the moment. But I'll be I'll be free very soon. Nice. Um, would you like to plug what you're uh, what you're in Belfast for? Oh yeah, yeah. So this week, uh, this Friday night, it kicks off uh, my online festival. Three nights, music, philosophy, um, poetry, and all of that. All you can either watch live uh, or you can dip in and out of and watch later. So that that kicks off a little bar called the Sunflower. That's literally two minutes walk from where I'm staying, and um, it's got this cool cage on the front of it from the troubles whenever you had to get buzzed in make sure you didn't have guns and uh, yeah so we'll be doing everything from there and people can get information at peterrollins.com is that what the... com. that's it peterrollins.com it's All like right. 55 bucks that gets you nine hours of stuff and i say it's local musicians artists and uh, i'll be doing some philosophy about the death of god so that's and the chaos most beautiful yeah. Oh, I can't wait. What are wait. you doing? Um, Have you got anything to pluck? What well, you? you know, it's funny you bring that up. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, if you, uh, if folks want to go to elliotmorgan.com slash tour, I will uh, next month be in Spokane, Washington, at the Spokane Comedy Club, as well as Tacoma. Uh, and uh, in July, mid-July, 14th, 15th, I will be in Tampa, as well as Orlando. And then in August, I will be in Ohio, Columbus, and Liberty Township. Um, I do not have choices on where these places are i just go where um i'm being beckoned but if you are in any of those areas i think you should come hang out because it's going to be very fun and i'm excited about the stuff that i'm working on and figuring it out and um i'm I've, i'm brainstorming things and getting feedback from my partner about you know what is actually funny and where i should play to my strengths and she's like you should just not do the comedy part and uh, and just do the stuff you want to do. And I was like, I, I get it. That's what Pete says, too. So I, I, I agree. It'll be very funny and very silly, but I'm excited to, to create a whole whole thing. I'm going to try to structure it a little differently than what's normal. I, usually it's like doing the stand-up thing is like just bit after bit. And then I have several bits, but I like to make a whole thing. I want to make a whole nice mm. message that's like insert, like, you know, uh, uh, concise and... Uh, and, and is a little bit more meaningful uh, or meaningless, depending on how you look at it. And so 
I'm pumped about it. And that's the ridiculous universe idea that I'm, I'm stoked about. So it'll be very fun. Um, but if you'd like to get tickets, you can go to elliotmorgan.com slash tour or peterrollins.com if you want to join Pete. There's all sorts of fun things. We also have patreon.com slash the fundamentalist, which is allowing us to use Squadcast as well as uh, edit this, um, sound edit this. So thank you to everybody who signed up over there. And I'm excited to start getting to know everyone. It's a nice little group forming, uh, but they don't we know each a, other yet. I want to do a little mixer. Yeah, we have an apology to make, but about the Patreon. Yeah. Because yeah, we promised we promised that we had this episode called Money and UFOs, but yeah. uh, we had to format an uh, a SD card, and we formatted the Bye-bye. card with the uh, the audio of that. So that is forever gone. But yep. We're going to create it a is, new one. Uh, we're going to create a different one. Yeah, I still love the idea of doing an episode that's just a half um, uh, <laughs> half money and half aliens. I did watch before we we dive into um, this particular topic, which this week we're talking about impossible desire or forbidden desire. Is that what it is? Yeah, jouissance, the French term. Enjoyment. Jouissance. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, Before we get uh, uh, into that. Yeah, I have to say, Pete, I did watch the um, 60 minutes last night that I was very excited about. regarding ufos slash uaps oh. there's absolutely no new information um but uh i will keep you updated for when we Thank make you. first contact yes <laughs> i'm very excited about it no one else yeah, cares but i'm super pumped um, you love it all right you well, love the ufos but... <laughs> Sorry, God, little... so yeah it's really little delay is that what you're saying little bit of delay yeah that's fine. People will yeah. forgive us. We're in different sides of the world. In the old days, this would have been impossible. So, hey. Yep. It's, uh, this is as good as it gets, and I'm just impressed that we're, we're doing it, and we will recreate um, an episode on more stupid things for the Patreon specifically, and if you'd like to join, you can. Now, Pete, let's dive in. You got all sorts of terms that you sent me um, to look up, and I, I was setting this up and did not get a chance to. I did look up something that led me to the Encyclopedia of Psychoanalysis, um, and was talking about the word transgression. And that's about as far as I got. It was very interesting, but I got confused very quickly. Oh, very good. Yes, well, jouissance and transgression are very interlinked. So yeah, we are going to talk about that. Um, yeah, I suggested the topic for today. Um, I was thinking about desire, uh, enjoyment, and um, a particular type of desire, not the desire for something that is of value, that has use, that uh, we get something out of, but the kind of desire for things that have no utility, the things that are actually can be painful for us. Um, you could say that, for example, sex has a utility in terms of having kids, but there's also this dimension of it, uh, a human dimension where you have sex precisely because it has no utilitarian value, and that's enjoyment, that's jouissance. So I thought maybe I would talk a little bit about this notion in psychoanalysis and then see where it went. Uh, well, I just jump ahead because of the uh, delay. Maybe I should talk for a few minutes. Cool. I think um, I know. Oh, just, yeah. I think people need to hear it. Great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the term jouissance is used in psychoanalysis. Um, in the, in the, it's a French term and they don't translate it usually, but it basically means enjoyment. Uh, but it means a particular type of enjoyment the type of enjoyment that is often painful, often destructive. It's, a, it's the stuff that we often do that, that not only is not good for us, but can sometimes be bad for us. And I thought I would very quickly mention three types of jouissance. 
uh, and then see where, where we go. Um, the first type of jouissance is um, the jouissance of wholeness, the jouissance of the desire to meet someone who completes us, the desire, uh, whatever. It's kind of primitive love in a way when you meet somebody and you feel that they complete you or that they reflect something of your own inner essence and the two become one. And uh, that's a very powerful experience. So that's the jouissance of wholeness and completeness. But it, it always fails. It never fully works. Um, it always is exciting at the time, but then it, it ends up collapsing. Because uh, if you go with the, the Lacanian notion that you know there is no person who can complete us because we're all divided, then ultimately it's always going to fall apart in some sort of way. Uh, and then there is the jouissance of transgression. And this is the excessive pleasure you get from standing up against something, from uh, putting yourself against your past or some political party or some group or having an affair or doing something that's not allowed by the law, by whatever you know the law is culturally, where you, you find an enjoyment precisely by breaking prohibitions. And that's a very exciting type of jouissance. As I say, the jouissance of affairs really connects with that notion of transgression, but also political resistance, people's pleasure at uh, defining themselves against those in power, for example. But then that's always a bit difficult as well, because when you get in power or if you ever become the law not, and no longer transgress it, then all the, the pleasure goes, because the pleasure is precisely in not getting. Um, and, and then finally, I think there is the more positive jouissance, which is the, the jouissance of continual failure, but an enjoyable failure where you enjoy repeating things like, you know, you're always trying to get better at chess or at philosophy or trying to have new adventures and you're always failing. You're never quite getting what you want, but you actually are able to directly enjoy that failure that not getting. So that's that's a, like a very basic look at jouissance over three kind of forms. Um, uh, and I'll say one more thing about it is, I don't know if you've heard of the Japanese art form called is it Shindogu, Shindogu, where uh, people make these inventions that they purport to solve a problem, but they're, they're just a little bit unwieldy. So they, they solve a problem, but by creating more problems in the process. So they'll have like a machine that puts your glasses on. Uh, but, you know, it's much easier just to put your glasses on with your hand. But they'll have this massive contraption that you put over your body. Oh, and funny. it's got like, yeah. <laughs> and and the, the, the ideal of Shindogu is that you create a contraption that has no utility. It's just slightly more annoying to use. Um, if you didn't use it. So it's precisely this weird thing where it's, and you're not supposed to make anything that could be sold. Like, so you can't make more than one. They're completely useless. They have no utility. And yet there's something so enjoyable about looking at them. And I think you know, Shin, Shindogu is a type of uh, enjoyment without pleasure. Uh, in fact, Freud called this the beyond of the pleasure principle because pleasure is we, we drink to satisfy our thirst. We eat to satisfy our hunger. We do lots of things because we're lonely. But when we go beyond the pleasure principle, we get into this excessive form of enjoyment that actually results 
or is generated precisely by not getting. It's by the by the impossible. So there you go. There's a brief intro. Uh, excellent. Um, that was an excellent intro. I yeah. what I got a few things to add. Um, but the most important is uh, an Instagram account that I follow called Unnecessary Inventions. Have I talked to you about uh, this before? No, but this is it. This is uh, this is probably a version of Shindogu. Tell me about it. Yeah, I can't say that it's exactly this, but it seems to be exactly this. Uh, it, like, for example, here's um, it's this guy who does it. He's got, let's see, 806,000 followers. He cracks me up. He uses like a 3D printer to make just incredibly stupid inventions. He has one for example, called the um, sizzling scooper, which is a spoon for your ice cream, but attached to it is a lighter so that you can use the lighter to soften the ice cream before, <laughs> That's it, uh, yeah. <laughs> before eating it. And then, uh, and then there's this one that sits an anytime selfie system, which is uh, basically a holder for... <laughs> It's a holder for your cell phone, but it has a mirror on it. So you can always be taking the mirror selfies that, that influencers love to do. You know, talking about? like that's a mirror attached uh, that you carry around with you. And it's so dumb. But uh, I mean, the guy's a genius. It's uh, it's it seems like that's exactly what you're talking about. It's just pure that's silliness it. that no one would ever want. That's it. Is, there it, was, um, was, uh, is it jouissance, though, if it's if it's. The desire, the first one, this this desire for wholeness, is that uh you don't you don't really know consciously that that would be a jouissance, right? Like people don't know that they even if you do know it rationally, you still fall for it pretty much yes. all the time. Yes. So yeah, is it? Yeah. But it it becomes something. You're basically saying that on an unconscious level, you are wanting people are people know unconscious. Like it's aware. You're aware of it on some level. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, or but that you're kind of not consciously aware of it. You're right. It's like you, um, we we feel fragmented, and we feel often there's parts of ourselves that we we are not connected to, and so we project that out onto others without knowing it, and then we get pleasure from encountering it. So, yeah, I would say that that, that type of jouissance of the of wholeness of meeting somebody who mm. completes you, um, it's uh, yeah, it's a very primal type of. Yeah, I I guess all of these are are I all these would be somewhat unconscious. I was thinking about um the um the uh the uh second one um desire for transgression and mm -hmm. I was reading something. I don't know if it was related to school or what, but it was talking about the political correctness uh cancel culture type of thing and it seems like there is on both ends a borderline erotic uh, motivation to a lot of the stuff that goes on, like especially from what I can tell of a lot of the uh, provocateurs on the right or whatever side that are like anti PC or, or, or that's their whole brand. That's all that they, and they freak out about it and they purposefully do things and say things that are like considered to be offensive or considered to be transgressing the social norms that you're supposed to be speaking in. And it's mm -hmm. like, they get, they get an audience that but it also feels just like a really strange sexual thing like they really get something out of this that's creepy and and um and like obsessive like uh like a like he, he they do protest too much kind of deal sometimes yeah. i'm thinking of like the steven steven crowders and those who get up and they just say the cr 
craziest things where it's like you're not even making a point you're just trying to poke and poke and poke and that seems like a even poking 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 is like a freudian yeah you know, no absolutely erotic. and I, I see it on on all sides both you know and the right and the left have tried to in different ways define themselves um as outsiders so either the resistance or uh, against the deep state or against, uh, you know, the kind of the elites or, you know, so there's uh, both sides I've seen in the last few years. There's been a, a big, set, as you say, like almost libidinal sexual desire to to paint yourself as the outsider um, and to kind of like define yourself against some big other that you are fighting against and transgressing against. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we very much see that today in the political realm on, on kind of both sides. Say so sometimes it's it's the, it was funny whenever the conservatives, uh, especially Trump got into power because that was, you know, some some people say the most, the person who was most surprised that Trump won was Trump. Um, and that you're no longer the transgressor. You're now the one in power. So you have to then have someone you're transgressing. And so even if you're the most powerful person potentially in the world, you then have to have the deep state and the deep state is even more powerful. So you have to define yourself as an outsider. And then the idea of the resistance, um, which kind of sometimes you could see got a real pleasure from defining themselves against Trump. So even now when Trump's gone, I still see these liberal and neoliberal comedians uh, kind of referencing him all the time as because they they kind of need to kind of have this this figure that they can define themselves against yeah um i mean you can just say my name you don't have to say neoliberal <laughs> you know <laughs> yes. i mean uh, um yeah they the, the i think that that's i like how too when you were talking about that one um the number two uh the, the desire for transgression um you mentioned also in addition to the cultural you know societal stuff you threw in the first one you mentioned was one's past um and the uh the the desire to transgress or like fight against your past which i think is a very interesting oh, yeah. version of that like i see that a lot in religion and yeah a lot of you you probably see this with a lot of people who were formerly religious and then spend all their time on twitter attacking the religion that they were part of and you kind of get a feeling that they're getting an enjoyment from transgressing against their own past you know so yeah 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 it's uh it's great and it's never ending and it's a fun thing um and then the third one desire for uh failure um i mean that one's just a fun one that just sounds like a good yeah. time that sounds i've uh which one of these do you think you're best at pete <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. Well, so this, yeah, this, this, the third one is potentially the most emancipatory one. That's maybe the one that has the most value attached to it. But like uh, the second one, I've been caught up in, in in the past, and the problem with it is, like the the example of an affair is perfect because you get so many people here having affairs who the moments that the the it's no longer a transgression. So the moment it's found out and the two people can be together and it's allowed uh, is often the time whenever all the desire goes. And it can happen overnight. It can almost happen like this, as soon as it becomes not transgressive, uh, it just becomes really boring. And um, so, yeah, that's a good example of how this, this, um, this idea of transgression kind of, it, it ultimately is a bit of a failure because it has to keep generating 
like some sort of prohibition. But the last one that you're mentioning is the one in which you you kind of directly enjoy circling around a failure. You kind of it's it's called Lacan calls it the non-relation, where he he says there's no sexual relationship. And what he means is there is no kind of unifying the two become one, but there is a type of non-relation, which is where you find the person who you do want to be one with. You find the person who you enjoy an antagonistic relationship with. You, and to say it in a really poppy way, you find the person you like to fight with. You like to argue the person yeah. who, when it's not right, you still want to be with them. Right. Like even if yeah. even if she doesn't think that aliens are interesting or cool, uh, and you do think <laughs> aliens are cool, like you enjoy that sort of back and forth. Um, yes. In terms of the infidelity <laughs> one, it reminds me of a. There's a poem by the um, poet Rivers Cuomo of Weezer, and it's a, a poem called "Thank God for Girls." Uh, and there's a line in it where he says, um, "I'm so glad I got a girl to think of, even though she isn't mine. I think about her all the day and all the night." It's enough to know that she's alive. She says I give her sweaty palms. She almost had a heart attack. The truth is I'm just as scared. I don't know how to act. I wish that I could get to know her better, but meeting up in real life would cause the illusion to shatter. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and this by... Yeah, this is a religious notion. So religion has always been tied with the transcendental, which means connected to the impossible or to something that is outside of being, something that is not or otherwise in being. And so jouissance is a form of secular religion because we're talking about something that doesn't exist. So it's transcendental. It's something that is a type of nothing. It's a something that is nothing <laughs> or it's a nothing that is something like death is a nothing that affects us. So when we um, desire in a, in a way of jouissance, we're kind of desiring something that is not in reality. It's not in being, and yet it has an effect. I mean, this is why a lot of kind of like a kind of a naive humanism doesn't work because it doesn't have any place for non-being. For It doesn't have any place for the transcendental dimension within reality itself, uh, which is what jouissance is, is touching on. Because you're ultimately desiring something that's always just out of reach or impossible. What would you say is the, um, can you define in your own words uh, for this oral presentation that you're doing? Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> what is, uh, you're, you're killing it. Um, what is humanism for those who don't know? And what is in your take the thing? Because I think people hear that word and they don't think, I don't think about it. I hear it. And I'm like, humanism cool um i don't like a lot of things that have isms behind them i assume that isms are usually not the best thing but what about humanism first what is it and what about it is kind of at odds with a lot of what you're talking about here specifically oh yeah very good well okay that's a good question so for me the first humanist and actually a humanist i like a lot is um uh Feuerbach. he's one of for me he kind of like sums up the real move into humanism and in the kind of modern european tradition and he starts off with the idea that in order to come to know ourselves, we have to project ourselves onto something external. And then we come to know ourselves and then we bring that back. So God is the screen upon which we project human essence. And uh, this is actually a precursor of projection. I mean, this is then later on developed by the psychoanalyst because in psychoanalysis, you know, we come to know ourselves 
through seeing ourselves in the mirror of our parents and our brothers and our mm-hmm. sisters. We kind of come to see who we are through others. And, you know, a, a lovely Jung quote is, you know, we see our unknown face in the other. So for, for Feuerbach, yeah, yeah it's say, beautiful. That I was going to say, the uh, yeah, the, the Jungian... Um, thing is is yeah to to know what is in your shadow you you the first place and primary place to look is your projections onto other people that's the best way to find out uh what about yourself is your least favorite thing that you're not um thinking about yes that by the way that this this is the key that's the key reason why and it sounds weird at first i had somebody ask me this the other week at a party where they said well why because there's some drugs happening to parties. Like, well, why do drugs not do the same thing as psychoanalysis, right? Why, why not? And the thing I was saying to them is, so drugs are great, maybe, and meditation's great. That's all fine. But the one thing you can't do is the weird thing is in psychoanalysis is we project onto other people. <clears throat> so what you need, if you really want to come to know your unconscious sometimes, is you project onto your therapist. You don't even know you're doing it. You project onto the therapist. The therapist then feels what you're projecting onto them. They start to feel like that you're treating them in a certain way, like your father or your mother, and then they feed back to you that projection. And so the only issue, and I say meditation is great, but you don't have the, the screen upon which to project your unconscious, which is then fed back to you. That's why, you know, Freud said like self-analysis is impossible because self-analysis, you don't have the third, the, you know, the person that you project onto who then helps you see what you've projected onto them. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of think that, yeah, I like um, a lot of the stuff that's coming out right now of, um, I, uh, I'm sorry if I look distracted, a little pretty blue jay uh, just landed oh. on a wall and I'm just looking at it. It's very nice. Um, nice. And it's gone just like that. It comes into my life and uh, and right out of it. But um, what were we going? The projection, the the uh, what were we saying? The, the there's a therapist that, that oh, does. Yeah, the, so oh, you need the, the therapist as a screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what it, I, I've been reading about. Uh, he's back. I've been reading about the sort of psychedelic and uh, psychotropic and that kind of thing of. Um, in a therapeutic sense, like there's all this stuff coming out about, I mean, you, we've talked about this a little bit, but there's a lot of research being done into like shrooms and psilocybin and that kind of thing and long-term microdosing and like doing it under a very like strict therapeutic uh, regimen and kind of what effects that's having on people and all the results seem to be very good. But a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff, like whether it's that or meditation or um, any kind of, I think like ritual uh, thing that, you know, it, it, that shock, that, that, a crazy environment you enter that that alters your thing that shows you and unlocks all the stuff in your brain i think mm-hmm. what they're saying is i don't know if this is similar to what you're saying but that stuff is useful however it is not enough to actually produce any sort of long-term change in a person you have to kind of be in some sort of a thera- therapeutic session to work continuously work through this stuff because otherwise it's just an experience uh, is what i believe i'm yes. gathering hundred percent. If one, if you believe, if you believe that that projection and transference are key technologies for accessing uh, the unconscious, and if you believe that they're key technologies in helping you uh, come to 
see the divisions and the contradictions within yourself, then yes, then you then you require a third. You, you just do. And probably drugs might help in some respect, but you still require the one that you project onto, the one that you put you transfer old relationships onto that person in the present. And for them to be trained to be able to uh work out what you're transferring onto them and what you're projecting onto them. Yeah, I was wondering if about that, uh, if the th therapist does it unconsciously as well. I mean, there is a countertransference that happens, but mm -hmm. therapists, they're, I guess, yeah, they're, they're both trying to mirror, like consciously trying to mirror back what there is being projected upon them. But mm -hmm. at the same time, they probably can't help do their own level of transference and whatever that looks like. And then, you know, on some level, I imagine the patient slash client picks up on that. And then it creates all, there's all these whirlwinds of projections going around. It's like a yes. little meteorological system. Absolutely. And that, that's kind of why your friends can't do analysis. So some people say, oh, listen, you, do, you don't need analysis if you have good enough friends. But the problem is your friends aren't, they're friends. So you're projecting onto them. They're projecting onto you. There's transference. There's counter transference. And that's I, what a friendship is. But with an analyst, technically, I, I, go ahead. I, I was just saying, my friends are the reason I'm in therapy, but that's the be hard to hit that's the very good. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. very true. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, uh, you think they're helping? Uh, they're not helping. <laughs> but yeah, like you wouldn't want your friend to just be a, a blank screen, but they, they technically the analyst sits there as a blank screen and then they feel what you're doing. They feel that, oh, are you trying to make me angry with you? Like, so for, I had a friend, for example, who kept forgetting to go around to see his kids. He had a, an arrangement on a Tuesday night to go and see his kids and read to his kids because he was, uh, you know, broken up with his partner and they shared the children. And he forgot three times in a row. And he was like, oh, my goodness, like, what am I doing? And his, his ex said, do you want the kids to hate you? And as I was talking to him, you know, we chatted about it. He was like, well, maybe it's true. Maybe I want the kids to hate me. In other words, I want the kids to feel about me the way I feel about myself. So he was denying his own self-hatred. But what he was doing in denying his self-hatred is he was doing things that would make his kids hate him so that he would get, through projective identification, he would get the hatred back that he was repressing within himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he needed a conversation with somebody to be able to, to show what was actually going on because because you don't know you just without an, without someone who's trained to keep an eye on that stuff it, it goes completely unnoticed it's like it lives on the surface it's the most obvious thing and yet completely invisible i know that's the best it's right there the whole time yeah it's uh when you see it you can't unsee it um that would be the desire for non-relation correct that's that that uh putting his his kids in a position where they are mirror like he is he's essentially like the, his partner is saying failing as like he's failing to go hang out with his kids he's failing to read to his kids so he is doing that failure over like repeating it like three like week after week yes. that he fall into that category that is true that's like a repetition compulsion where you keep doing some painful activity but you're getting some enjoyment from it that's the key so that's why mm -hmm. an analysis often someone will say what are you what are you enjoying what do you get out of that? So like with, with my friend, I could say to him, well, what are you getting out of not seeing your kids, forgetting your children? And the pleasure is the pleasure of 
his own self hatred, <laughs> um, you know, being mirrored back to himself. There's something that's that that's that's he's connecting with a part of himself without knowing. Yeah, in that act. Uh, but that's why, again, someone like Slavio Shizek keeps reminding us that, in a way, the Freudian unconscious is on the surface. It's not in the depth. Like there's stuff in the depths, but mm -hmm. in some respects, it's the thing that's right on the surface. It's so obvious. Whenever he told mm -hmm. me that three times in the room he'd forgotten his kids, and I'm like, you never forget to meet me. You never forget work appointments. Your your brain is functioning properly, so we can't think that you're got some sort of Alzheimer's. So what if you actually want? To forget your kids because you and then and then suddenly it opens it up because of course that's like it's totally on the surface it's totally there for everybody to see and yet nobody notices yeah. we're always yeah. telling the uh, truth <laughs> yeah we are and my favorite is the uh like well maybe you do want your kids uh to hate you and then the immediate reaction with no time in between is just no i would I, of course i don't want that and then that's the fun tale or tell too. Yes. You're like, oh yeah, you really responded real quickly to that. That's nice. Good for you. Yeah. You, right. Oh, sorry, it's... I brought it up. Oh my bad. Oh. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's the old thing. If you know, I had a dream, and it definitely wasn't about my mother. You know, it's the it's the denial right at the the front, <laughs> which tells you what it is about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you? Uh, I, I did. I will tell folks that we. I. I did. Uh, we mentioned on a previous podcast that he did had a dream where I was starting a secret society without him and so last night when i was texting him about recording this podcast i realized he was probably asleep and i decided to tell him that i was in fact take his time i hope he's resting well but i was uh, at a secret society with some friends that he was not invited to i'm trying to create i'm trying to make your dream feel more yes. uh, alive within your life so you're what trying, are, what you're are trying to get for, it, you, you know, know? You know my insecurities. You know my little yeah. <laughs> what is it? A true friend well, yeah. uses it, your insecurities. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, what a, what a nice thing to to wake up to in Belfast when you're stuck in in quarantine and uh, just a a dickish message from me. <laughs> He's like, hey, remember that thing? Remember that thing that made you feel bad? I'm gonna make it the first thing you see when you wake up. But it, I'm having fun. You know, I, you're not around, so I have to to I have to do what I can. I don't think That's I fine. saw that message, fine. but did you even send it? Did you send it in the end? Let me see. I don't think you sent hmm. it. I wonder if I sent it to somebody else. Um, <laughs> you know what? It I did, and it came back green. So I don't know if maybe uh, uh, I said. I didn't get that. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was Saturday night, and at 9.25, I texted, you're probably sleeping. In that case, just know I'm at a party right now, kind of a secret society with some friends. Just us, just us allowed. And that's all I said, but you didn't oh, get oh, it. See, I was, that would scream me up. Too, you would... <laughs> yeah, because also I was a little worried because your next text was um, regarding the podcast and you said, I'd love to, but I'm out this evening. How about Monday morning, your time? And I was like, oh, I hope I didn't offend him, but it makes sense if you didn't see it. Okay, great. Oh, right. No, totally, totally. Because did I tell you that I, I used that. to have dreams? I used to have dreams where... The kids in the area would be playing hide and seek and they'd all just go home and I'd be running around trying to find people. So it must be this deep insecurity <laughs> in me that I'm going to be left out. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So, I love it. Uh, this deep, it must be just a deep or deep insecurity that you want to be left out. Well, yes, that see, there you go. It's what are you getting out of it? What enjoyment are you getting out of being the outsider? That's that's very interesting. I like that. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and I was saying about. We'll continue that. We should, 
Yeah, we should bring it back as well to humanism briefly. I remember we were talking about that. Oh, yeah. And apolo- apologies to everybody who notices the slight mm-hmm. delay, but we're we're doing pretty good. But obviously, we're talking over each yep. other a tiny bit. So apologies to everybody. Um, but yeah, so I was saying like Feuerbach was the one who said God is a kind of a, a way of understanding what humanity is, just like people's dogs look like themselves. Or, I, you know, you can tell what a person's ideals are by looking at their dog. You know, you can um, tell what a uh, humanities like by looking at their gods. Um, so that's the beginning of humanism. But the issue for me with with some humanist tradition is uh, it doesn't have a place for um, this idea of self-division. So basically God mm. is a reflection of ourselves. Um, but in some religious traditions, God is not a projection. God is a projectile. Uh, so the notion is that religion at its best doesn't reflect who we are, but religion can be the thing that um, uh, kind of uh, problematizes what we are. That kind of the the thing that kind of um, <clears throat> a way of a way of uh, breaking down our ethical and wisdom traditions and getting us to think differently. So anyway, but I that was just uh, you know. But the reason why I was throwing humanism under the bus a little bit is just primarily that um, I think we have to have a way of dealing with the transcendental. And the transcendental is the projectile. The transcendental is the a type of not at oneness of the world, a type of impossibility. Um, and we can't do away with that. When we do away with that, you're saying we do something valuable. And transcendental, you're do you you're is that the same thing as transcendent? Yeah, like, so transcendental. Go ahead. After you, yeah. I, I'm just trying I keep yeah. you keep saying transcendental, and in my head I'm thinking transcendent. But I think you mean something different, but yeah, maybe so, just a word thing. No, no, no. It's, it is different. Um, and Kant makes a distinction uh, between okay. the transcendent, which is an object, uh, and the transcendental, which is a dimension. So if you talk about the transcendent, you're talking about, say, God, this being that is beyond being. But if you talk about the transcendental, you're talking about a realm of reality that is not reducible to something we can speak of. So for Emmanuel Kant, there's the transcendental categories. So you, you, which is uh, things that you can't think, but you have to presuppose in order to think. So they exist, but you can't yeah. think them. They're literally the things that they're the lens through which you see. You cannot see them, but without them, you cannot see anything. And they're transcendental because they're outside the realm of things that we can grasp. Yep. Does that make yep. sense? Yep. 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 Big fan. Big fan. Yeah, I think that makes sense, and I really liked it. Um, well, listen, this is wh- what would you say is the overall? What do you do with these? Do you do you put these in your hat as uh, as terms? You know that you can keep in mind. I like that. I like the idea of being able to go. Why do I keep doing this? Oh, there's some kind of jouissance. There's some kind of dark pleasure I'm getting out of you know a repetition of failure or a rep- or a desire for wholeness that I know. Uh, on some level isn't going to work or a desire to kind of poke. I mean, a lot of like my old, old standup um, when I was first starting was specifically um, like had that trollish uh, vibe to it that that um, was kind of like a pokey kind of like, look, I can say whatever I want. Um, and, and, and I don't necessarily like that kind of comedy as much anymore, but it's still occasionally very fun. Um, I do it more, you know, uh, sporadically. But uh, I like the idea of being able to think about these things in terms of those different like 
categories, not uh, not Kantian categories, but like what's the what else do you do with it? Do you learn to does it help you, you think, realize it or recognize it in your own life so that you can make better decisions? Or is it just sort of, you know, you're never going to be able to like get away from these entirely. So what, what what do you what do you do with it? What's the what is the yeah. takeaway? Yes. What's the takeaway? I guess for me, I mean, you could almost imagine rolling through these three types of jouissance. So first of all, the idea in psychoanalysis is you can't do without it. A life without jouissance, without this excessive beyond the pleasure principle, without this painful pleasure, uh, life is boring, right? So we all need a little bit of jouissance. Um, but you could imagine almost like in a relationship, you meet somebody and at first you think they complete me, they're everything and they think the same. And so that's the jouissance of the imaginary. That's the jouissance of wholeness. That's a very primitive love. And that's fine. That's great. That gets you kind of into each other. And then we could imagine rolling into the jouissance of the symbolic, which is the jouissance of the transgression, where maybe what generates that is the person's going out with somebody. They're with somebody else, so mm -hmm. you can't be with them. So that generates the jouissance of impossibility. But then if you're successful, you can roll into the third. And the third is where you're together. You no longer think you're going to complete each other. You no longer need some prohibition. The other person's either going out with somebody or you have to fantasize they're going out with somebody to have jealousies or whatever. You've got beyond that and you're able to enjoy the imperfection of your relationship. And as you say, like you don't get rid of them all, like they're all working, but maybe the takeaway is you try to roll through from the first one to the third one, yeah. um, that's going to be the most sustaining type of jouissance. Uh, yeah, although it's like got a its problems as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like a path. It's not like uh, individual things that pop up that are independent. They overlap and you roll from one to the other uh, and you have, mm -hmm. and then you die. Yes, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah. Or, or the relationship <laughs> dies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, lovely. Uh, I think, Pete, I think this is a wonderful first podcast remote. How do you feel about it? I know that you, it's weird. And I, again, to our, our listeners and viewers, thank you for your patience with this. But, um, and also please let us know what you think in the comments below or tweet at us or, or whatever. Um, what, what are you thinking? How do you like it? Yeah, no, I've I've really enjoyed it. As I mean, obviously, with the delay, we haven't been able to have the back and forth as much. Uh, so I feel like we could say that we, I would definitely want to release this, but I'll, everybody know that we're using new technology. The Wi-Fi here is terrible. I'm going to have to figure this out. So uh, we'll get better yeah. Wi-Fi for the second one. Yeah, you look on mine like a little potato, but I don't know if maybe it's recording it. It might look really nice um, with this Squadcast thing, but... Um, yeah, normally we're a little bit more zany, um, but it's hard mm. to do when we're also trying not to talk over each other. Well, that, yeah, I agree totally. I think that sounds great. Also, try uh, you could try hot spotting next time. That's what I do when I'm out here in this little shed. Okay, I'll Pretty do it. But you know what? That's, what? that's what I was doing annoyingly. I was hot spotting via BT, yeah. and uh, it seems to be no better. No better. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, this would be a nice, uh, yeah, this is a nice little short one, but I do want to hear if you've got a takeaway before we go. Have you got any takeaway on this notion of jouissance and uh, non-utilitarian pleasure? You know, I think it's lovely. I think that it's the core. Uh, I really enjoyed my favorite part is we've talked about this before. It's the bread and butter a lot of a lot of our podcast episodes, but that the idea of um, the constant simplicity of looking at people's projections and letting it be a guiding um uh 
you know, indicator of, of what's going on with yourself is nice. I think it also alleviates a lot of the pressure that people might feel in life about other other people. And a lot of that, I think it weakens the animosity people can have toward other people. If I'm particularly pissed off at someone uh, and they are, um, and then I recognize that it's probably it has to do with me, then it makes me, I think, a little nicer of a person. And I think that that's good. And I've heard from some people that I need to be nicer. Um, <laughs> mom my mom but uh yeah I, that's that's my favorite part and yeah, uh, the I'm, rest just is yeah. is a little depressing <laughs> but yes. really like um yeah but that that thing that i'm you know the bit that i enjoyed exactly the same as you is is this notion of when we understand that we're not atoms so if i go and i meditate on my own that's that's good and that has lots of value but to know yourself you have to know yourself in relation to others and to have a therapist or someone who's trained to, to see what happens when you're actually around other people, that tells us so much that we'll never find out when we're on our own, when we're atomized. So that that dimension of projection and transference, that's a good reason why I'm sure people who listen to this podcast kind of wonder, why is Pete never kind of always pushing back a little bit on this notion of meditation? And it's not that it's bad. It's just that if you take the notion that human beings are uh, interpersonal, that who I am is really a reflection of who I am in relation to my parents and my siblings, people I love, the people I hate, and, and all of that's going on. And that if someone's trained to sit in a room with me, I bring all of those relationships into the room and I put them onto the other person without even realizing it. And actually then when they feed it back, I suddenly start to see myself and go, oh my goodness, that's why I feel the way I do because of my relationship with my mother or whatever. And so, yeah, that's, that was a fun little bit of the conversation. I love that. And also, um, just as a final note, I do have my Freudian sips mug that I'm drinking coffee. <laughs> nice. out of. Uh, nice. and, and it does say, he, you know, when you say one thing, but mean your mother. So it's a classic, <laughs> classic joke. And there he is right there. He's an adorable man. Uh, really yeah. chill dude laid back well um zany as uh, as we are uh all right everybody thank <laughs> you so much for listening to it, slash watching this podcast we hope you enjoyed it we're going to keep uh staying on schedule and if you have any suggestions for topics anything like that uh thoughts on um the impossible the forbidden desires the jouissance let us know and uh thank you and pete please enjoy belfast very much i can't wait for uh, you to uh to get back when do you when do you get back Get back on the fourth of June, and mate, it's so good seeing you. I I do miss you because you 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 went off just before I went off, so I haven't hung out for a while. So can't wait to be doing this in person in three weeks. Three weeks. We're gonna have so fun. I can't wait. All right, man. Well, thank you very much, and goodbye, everybody. Bye.